And now for the conclusion of Solo, a Star Wars movie on Lauer After Hours presents Cinema. Traveling aboard the Falcon, and Han tells Lando that he recognizes the ship as a YT-1300 light freighter because his father used to work at the CEC plant before he got laid, before he got laid off. Uh, Han's dad used to build these and wanted to become a pilot. Lando remarks that his mother was the most amazing woman that he had never known. Uh, L3 arrives and ushers. More Solo. daddy issues. Sorry, more daddy issues. So <laughs> we didn't uh, have enough. We, we never have enough. Uh, L3 arrives here and ushers Solo out of the co-pilot seat. She sets a hyperspace course for Kessel, and then they jump into light speed. Lando explains that they have to travel through the Cicada Cluster and the Maelstrom to reach Kessel. It's not like dusting crops, boy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Beckett plays uh, Dejaric with Chewbacca, which kind of looks, like, uh, looks like chess with little holograms. Beckett uses one of the pieces to take out one of Chewie's pieces, angering the Wookiee who slams his fist on the hologram set. Beckett then schools Chewie and says that he has to think a few steps ahead. That's going to come into play very, very soon. Han asks if they have seen Kira, but Beckett replies that people are predictable. Han walks to Kira's quarters where she is trying on a cape, one of the famous capes here from, uh, from Lando. Kira asks Han about his plan for Kessel. He wants to ask her about her experiences following their separation on Corellia, but Kira is not interested in talking about all that. She says he won't look at her the same, uh, like the way that you're looking at me right now. Han gives Kira a very, very passionate kiss, and the two embrace. Uh, Beckett walks in on them and reminds them that they have got a lot of work to do. Uh, now, There's no privacy. There's absolutely no privacy on the Lone Falcon. Much less for poor Han Solo, who, who, whose ship it, it would eventually become. Between well, Beckett, C-3PO, yeah. like, come on, man. Isn't there a quiet little nook of the, the Falcon that just so away and, you know, canoe? No. Uh, so now they are walking. So Beckett and Han are now walking through the Falcon. And uh, Beckett says that Han is making a big mistake by trusting Kira. He tells Han that he and Chewbacca would make a good crew, but he doesn't trust Kira. Beckett advises Han to trust, uh, don't trust anybody, DTA. Shout out Stone Cold Steve Austin. What? And to assume Hell that everyone yeah. is going to betray him. Han thinks that this is a lonely way to live, but Beckett says it's the only way to live. Lon- Lando and L3 take the Falcon Wait, out of hyperspace. It's the only way to live, but you were married. Up w- until, like, was he married? Bell was his wife. Mm, I, uh, or his, right? Companion. Yeah, lady friend. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It. It never said. Why. I feel like it doesn't have the time to settle down with. With. Like if she was, her. if she was a meaningless member of the of his gang, maybe he wouldn't have buried her. There's there's something there, and then the way that when she, before she blows up, she kind of has a tender moment to like. At the end of her life, her last words to him. 
Yeah. So that's how I was like, like, weren't you married or something? Well, they, they were definitely together. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of love there. Uh, Lando and L3 take the Falcon out of hyperspace and arrive outside the, uh, the outside the maelstrom. Lando goes to check on the dampers and asks L3 uh, if she needs anything. She sarcastic replies, equal rights, as the ship travels through the stormy cluster. When Kira arrives in the cockpit, L3 explains that the sound is caused by carbon bergs. Uh, they are planet-sized objects that are just crashing into each other. She warns that it's dangerous for ships to travel for ships to travel through the maelstrom. L3 asks Kira about her plans and notices the brand on her hand, the little tattoo. When L3 points out that Han is in love with Kira, she denies it, but L3 confides that Londo is infatuated with her, but that she doesn't share the same feelings for him. With a line that is, how would that work? It works. <laughs> I had to look this up because, of course, there's, there's something for everybody, and uh, I couldn't find necessarily uh, loving robots, but uh, a galmatophilia, a galmatophilia, there we go, is love of uh, statues, dolls, mannequins, or other figurative objects. So I'll throw in robots. Why not? Unless you guys can find a better one. See Uncle Polly and Rocky IV. <laughs> that, they redid, by the way, Stallone redid uh, Rocky IV. They yes. did a new director's cut. Completely just gutted the movie of, of Polly and that ro- robot the friendship. robot, yeah. Oh, so sad. Well, to quote Daryl Morey, it's the mechanics that I can't seem to. <laughs> I, I can't seem to grasp the mechanics. Should we call this Royphilia because of the love of androids? Hmm. Robosexuals. You know what? <laughs> Maybe. Futurama. I already covered this. Uh, as they approach Kessel, Beckett briefs the team about their plan to reach the thermal vault where the coaxium is stored. He warns everyone to stick to the plan. The Falcon lands in a clearing at the base of the mine where they are greeted by several pikes. Uh, Kira poses as the slaver Oksana Florin, deputy assistant to the vice admiral of the Federation of Trade Route Allocation and Monetization. That's a hell of a title. Uh, Han and Chewie pose Sounds as important. slaves while Beckett poses uh, as a helmeted security attache. Uh, L3 poses as a servant droid. Uh, Kira here meets with the Pikes and offers to trade the Federation slaves in return for some of the Pike Syndicate spice. One of the Pike Sentinels forces Chewie and Han to their knees with a uh, a spear, a, a, some sort of stick of something, uh, and inspects them. Uh, they tell Han and Chewie that they're about to go get clipped, which that's that could have where? a couple of different meetings. By the way, Beckett donning one skiff guard outfit that Lando eventually wears in Return of the Jedi. This movie is just filled with little 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 fan service Easter eggs. But when I saw that, that him come out in that that outfit, I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen. Well, you, that that kind of goes to the thing that he has all these things just on board the Millennium Falcon all the time. All these props. Yeah. That's why he's the best smuggler, and that's why the Empire has never caught him. Uh, before leaving, Kira punches Han right in the grut, but gut, but discreetly passes him the lucky charm, giving him back the dice. Kira, L3, and Beckett accompany the Pikes uh, into the control room while Han and Chewie are led into the mines. Uh, L3 translates here. Um, Kira watches with concern on the surveillance cameras as Han and Chewie are beaten by their Pike captors. 
they insist that uh, Florin or Kira's uh, security attache can wait outside. They don't need him for negotiations. Um, while the Pike leader here is not looking, Han and Chewie turn the tables on the guards as soon as the camera fades. Uh, Han knocks out the guard, but Chewie ends up uh, pulling off both arms of his captors, which is kind of a call forward to... Uh, Luke Skywalker telling Chewie to rip out C-3PO's arms. Uh, back in the control room here, Beckett tricks two guards into holding his pike and then shoots them. Beckett eliminates the remaining guards. Kira defeats and kills the pike here using the martial arts technique of Terrace Kasi, which Dryden Voss has taught her. Uh, Dryden taught me. Yeah, Dryden taught me. Uh, yeah, L3 is super impressed with Kira's uh, combat skills, skills here. Whoa. We are now in the mines, and a disguised Han and Chewie are mingling here amongst the uh, slaves and the guards. Uh, L3 speaks to the security droid and frees him of his restraining bolts, and she convinces him to free his droid brethren while she directs Han and Chewie to the thermal vault. The liberated droids now free the slaves uh, of the remotely controlled restraints and chains, sparking a droid and slave uprising in the mines. Han asks what L3 is doing. She says, I've created a distraction. As they approach the vaults, Chewie breaks off uh, to free another Wookiee slave who is being tortured. Han says that they need to stick to the plan. Han passes Chewie a, a spear, which he uses to attack the Pike guards, uh, beating the other Wookiee. Following Beckett's directions, Han, and, Han reaches the vault and incapacitates the guard by kicking him directly in the nuts. Uh, after L3 unlocks the vault, Han steals 12 unrefined coaxium canisters. Uh, meanwhile, Lando is reminiscing here uh, on the Millennium Falcon of the Calrissian Chronicles, Chapter 5, in which he's talking about his encounter with the Sharu. Lando is distracted by the noise resulting from the uprising, and L3 tells him that she found her true purpose. Han struggles to push the sled carrying the canisters, but is noticed by some pike guards. Chewbacca comes to the rescue and takes out the guards with his spear. Chewie and the other Wookiee help Han to push up the canisters. Lando exits the Millennium Falcon and joins the battle as Han and the rest of the team fight their way through the fight their way out with the liberated slaves and droids. Han and Lando shoot several Pike sentries. Uh, Beckett and now and Kira now exit the mines. Uh, L three is cheering here while Chewbacca and the other Wookiee uh, load the coaxium canisters aboard the, aboard the Falcon. Han and the others exchange fire with the Pike sentries who have now brought in a sonic cannon. Uh, before they can leave, L3 is fatally damaged here by gunfire. And this, this scene was was uh, this was kind of tough. Uh, a grieving Lando comes to the aid of the uh, dying L3, who has now succumbed to systems failure. Lando is hit, and Han comes to his aid, driving the sentries away. Chewie embraces uh, the other Wookiee before leaving with Han and Lando. Chewie uh, is now carrying a wounded Lando uh, aboard the Falcon while Kira takes out the Pike's uh, sonic cannon with a grenade, which causes this huge, huge explosion. Uh, a distraught Lando is now cradling the disintegrating L3. Beckett orders uh, Han to get them out off a of Kessel. Han flies the Falcon out of the mine into the skies. Uh, now Lando is uh, mourning the loss of L3. Kira volunteers as Han's co-pilot. -co they are now joined by Chewie while Beckett is now sealing the hidden storage compartments containing the coaxium. Lando comes up to the bridge and says, uh, with the cargo they have, if they don't make up some lost time, they're going to be in some real trouble. Getting a little dicey. Also, now we bring up coaxium. I mean, this thing, this thing seems to be very, 
very uh, pricey and expensive and just rare. Why is it like we've only started hearing about it in the solo movie? I was thinking the exact same thing, especially because you've been getting all these like little hints of, of how valuable spice is in the Star Wars world. And now it's like, okay, what's like Star what really is space crack? Because there's there's also like with like the Mandalorian too. With I, I'm blanking on the the type of metal that his like armors made. Escar, Escar. Okay, but like even that in itself is a valuable commodity in in the Star Wars universe. So it's just interesting to have these different things come in um, left and right that are just seen as these like you know valuable commodities in their universe and their galaxy. And it's just really interesting, you know, kind of like wampum with you know the Native Americans here. Kira looks up and asks if that's real trouble. It is an Imperial Star, Star Destroyer, which has exited hyperspace in response to the rebellion on Kessel. Lana wants to drop the shipment, but Kira warns that Dryden will kill them if they fail. Han says, it's cool. I know these guys. I used to be one. They're not going to waste a TIE fighter on a rinky-dink freighter. And the Star Destroyer dispatches several TIE fighters uh, in pursuit of the Millennium Falcon. Lana says, in situations like this, I like to fly in the other direction. Han bangs a big Yui here and bugs out of there. Beckett says that he's going to jump on the ventral gun. Lando says, it's an easy equation. They just don't have enough time to get to Savarine before the canisters explode. Han says they just need to find a shorter route. Lando says it's impossible and it's never been done in less than 20 parsecs. Han proposes taking a shortcut through the Maelstrom, which Lando regards as suicidal. Han convinces Lando to download L3's neural cords, which contains her navigational data, into the Falcon system. Han takes the Falcon and its TIE fighter pursuers through a dangerous storm clouds of the Maelstrom while Beckett mans the ship's ventral laser cannon. What are the odds of successfully navigating that? Ask L3. For a movie whose tagline... Tell him the odds. For a, exactly. For a movie whose tagline is that crappy... <laughs> Slime. They don't even say any odds. They don't give them odds. They don't tell them any. They expect us to know about C three PO and his and his, his brilliant mind that, that could give them all these odds. Uh, Han asks if the Tie Fighters are still on them. Beckett says, "Like a rational on a Kylak." Han has no idea what this means. Beckett says, "It's like a Gingleson's pelt." Han still has no clue. He yells, "Are they or aren't they?" Beckett says, "Yes, they're still on us." Uh, he ends up taking out two TIE fighters. Uh, however, a third fighter manages to evade Beckett's laser cannon and inflicts some damage on the top of the Falcon's hull, causing Lando to fall. Han rolls the Falcon, striking the TIE fighter with its side, sending it into an asteroid. Uh, more TIE fighters now continue the pursuit, uh, prompting Han to say that they need to divert some power to the, real sh- the rear shield generator. Uh, Chewbacca does this, causing Han to ask when he learned to fly. Chewbacca responds, and says that he is 190 years old. Looking good for 190. Yeah, he and he was. You know, I, I have to say he's very youthful, very spry. Very, very spry. Um, Because when you get Black Chrysanthemum, you don't necessarily get that chippiness, no. you know, for, that you would get from an older Wookiee. But I get, then again, Black Chrysanthemum's been through a lot. You know, so has been, Chewbacca. I know, the, 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 two of the, the two of them they, have. They but it's just, them, they use them but Chewbacca's not as jaded. <laughs> Chewbacca's not as jaded. Maybe it's because he's a better Wookiee, a better person Wookiee, Pookie. I don't know. You know, whatever, whatever you have there. Little old Dang. to be a Wookiee. Dang, I didn't want to go into this, but we, we bypassed a very sad story, which is Sagwa, the other Wookiee that is freed in the, in the, the Spice Mines of Kessel. Yes. Uh, 
obviously, uh, if you go, if, I'd have to pull up the Wikipedia. Sorry, the Wikipedia <laughs> entry. Wow, didn't think I'd get tied up on that one. Uh, yeah, so he was imp- he was imprisoned on the spice mines of Kessel, wore an electrocharged slaving collar, he had and his, had his shaggy arms bound by heavy shackles. Years of toil took their toll on his body, leaving his brown fur balding due to the illness. Though he continued to selfishly spare weaker slaves from the most brutal mining duties. Yeah, the spice mines of Kessel are, are brutal, tough work. Backbreaking. And poor Sagwa, I don't know if you remember seeing him in that in those brief scenes. Looked like it he looked a little emaciated. He looked like he he was he was he needed a, a he needed a, a TLC. Yeah. 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 I'm still trying to I, I'm sorry, I got hung up on this. There's a Wookiepedia. Oh, Mayor <laughs> there, Matt. There is what? you actually know about Is there it? ever, Mayor from, Matt? I thought that's what everyone was looking up all their notes on. That's what that's I thought. What you had. I mean, it's almost essential. I was looking at Lando's like legacy, non-canonical stuff and, and his actual canonical stuff because, you know, you know, obviously we know when, when the mouse bought uh, Disney or uh, Lucasfilm, we kind of did away with some of the expanded universe stuff. And some great stories were, were lost in that whole process. Uh, Jade Solo, and uh, there was a, another clone em- emperor, and that's eventually, unfortunately, where they went with with the new trilogies on. But yes, Wikipedia, your source for all things Star Wars. Shout out to Wikipedia. I don't know, send me something. <laughs> uh, Kira now checks on Lando in I, the passenger area. And I'm going to spend the next week trying to get any Star Wars affiliated people sending stuff your way though. I just want <laughs> you to know do. that right now. Yeah. Please I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to work very hard at that. Just I mean, as hard as I was going to work as at the triplets Instagram that you wanted to set up. <laughs> I'm going to set that up too. Okay. They so got to do, they got to do better than Charlie Hume. Oh, the Zalorian. Wow. So for our, our audio only audience here, uh, Lorenzo now has a Mandalorian mask donned. The Mandalorian helmet from the Mandalorian. Literally, the best thing Star Wars has put out since the original three mo- three movies. Can we all agree on that? I mean, that is correct. Can I get an Amin? That is on the that? way. Amin. There we go. Lorenzo Lorian. Darth Amin. <laughs> uh, Kira now checks on Lando in the passenger area and uses one of his capes to put out a fire. Lando says, "Whoa, that's a custom piece." Uh, a TIE fighter manages to shoot the Falcon's <laughs> rear ventral cannon, causing it to break off. Uh, Han flies the Falcon deeper into the maelstrom with the TIE fighter Han in his tail. Mimic a move that he copied from a Corellian street racer. Han gets Chewie to deploy the landing gear as the Falcon scrapes against the surface of an asteroid. Uh, this damages the landing gear, but uproots some rocks and debris, uh, one of which breaches the TIE fighter's cockpit. Han then takes the Falcon deeper into the maelstrom. Hell yeah. Meanwhile, Lando and Kira manages to retrieve to uh, retrieve L3's internal processor. Beckett observes the coaxium vials becoming more unstable and alerts the others. As they reach the Ma cluster, L3 constructs a model of the maelstrom and warns them that they are approaching a massive, uh, huge, huge... Gravity well, thing. I think. I believe it's a gravity well. Uh, yes. Uh, the Falcon now... Uh, they find themselves face to face with this huge monster. The crew tries to escape the monster, but they end up arriving at a very huge gravity well, which Lando identifies as the Maw. Thinking fast, 
Han ejects the Falcon's escape pod. The monster then follows that down and gets caught into the gravity well. Guiding the ship systems, L3 finds a way out. Uh, go 90 degrees left-ish. Left-ish. However, the Falcon is trapped in the gravity well. Kira and Lando convince the rest of the team to inject a drop of coaxium into the fusion core to give them the kick they need to escape the gravity well. Carrying out their plan, Beckett retrieves a drop of coaxium. Uh, meanwhile, the animal, this thing, is now being sucked into the mom, being ripped apart. Uh, at Solo's command, Beckett boosts the ship's fusion core with a drop of coaxium, which briefly supercharges the engines. Uh, the engines stall out, and they start to get sucked deeper into the gravity well. And then all of a sudden, the hyperdrive comes online, and the Falcon jumps into light speed before the Maelstrom closes on them. It's Hell I yeah. Just looked, I looked it up. Wikipedia strikes again. It's called the Suma Verminoff. It's a gigantic spacefaring species of legend that dwelled in the Acades Maelstrom. It reminded me of two things. One, in the Matrix, you know, those little things going around. But two, what does Jar Jar Binks call it in episode one? Like a kuda fish? Like that, that fish that's trying to eat the ship as they're like traveling, you know, trying to get to Naboo? I was hoping we wouldn't invoke the name of Jar Jar Binks in this. Uh, Cola Claw. Oh. Cola Claw yeah. fish. Yeah. Sorry. Hold up. I can't. Edit, I can't. Edit that out. I don't know. I can't breathe that well in this thing. This thing. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think Rio actually said that. I don't know how they breathe in these things. Ugh. Now you know. No, just Best another scar, person complaining about wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Can't rebuild the sec now, Zoe. You took wow. off your mask. Took off your helmet. Oh. Uh, after making the Castle Run solo and his companions land on the planet Savarine to rendezvous with Voss. Uh, as the Falcon approaches the refinery, Solo radios into the air traffic controller, warning that he is coming with a large cargo of coaxium that needs to be offloaded immediately. The damaged Falcon circles the coastal refining area before landing. Uh, due to the damaged landing gear, the Falcon is kind of hanging off lopsided there. Uh, the coaxium is now being offloaded, and Solo quips that he made the Kessel run in, in just 12 parsecs. Uh, Chewie vehemently disagrees. Han says, not if you round down, buddy. Han puts his arm around the unamused Lando, who is grieving over the loss of L3 and is absolutely furious about the damage to his ship. He tells Han that he's going to be waiting on board in his quarters, waiting for his share of the money, and says, I never want to see you ever again. Han now finds Kira at a bar, and he asks when Voss is coming. Kira reassures him that he will get paid for doing the job. Solo now asks Kira about her servitude to Dryden. She explains that the crime lord uh, helped her out of a very bad situation. He asks how long it will take to pay off her debt. Kira warns him that everybody, including Voss, serves someone and not to make, any, make, make an enemy out of Crimson Dawn. Han says that he can take care of himself and is no longer the kid that she knew on Corellia. When Kira asks who he is, Han says, I'm an outlaw. She tells him that the only person in the galaxy who knows that uh, he is a good guy. Han disagrees, says that he is a terrible person, and Becca comes in and reminds the two about the coaxium. He has, like, total blocker energy, the worst timing. They're, like, trying to get close, get the Mac on again, and he's just, like, totally cuts that between them. Han? Some of that. Call back. 
we still have 45 minutes left in this movie. And in this podcast. 45 minutes left in this movie. Yeah. Should we just skip to the end? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hyper jump to it. <laughs> we, we can do whatever y'all want to. No, no, no. Uh, let's keep let's keep it going. We're we're going through all the the Star Wars canon. Like that that's the the purpose of of Solo, of Red One, of you know Book of Boba, of Mandalorian. We're getting all into like the little bit of the culture of this of these universes and of these galaxies. I didn't realize though through the second watch through of this movie how much it, how much it it goes through these different worlds like quickly. You know, sorry. Yeah. Uh, just a how quick do you define I- quickly? Well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, you're going through multiple different aspects of the star Wars universe. Like through, I get it, It's an extended period of time, but like we're, we're jumping from like, you know, there's the, there's a train heist and then there's a whole, he's with the Imperial, you know, he's an Imperial trooper and there's just different things that we're getting from this world. That's like, Oh, there's just, there's a lot here. Yeah. All thrown into one that I'm realizing the second time around the first time around, I was like enamored with it. And the second time I'm like, there's a lot. Well, t- taking a lot of these notes here and doing all this research, I felt like I was studying for an exam when I was back in, in the military studying for nuclear physics. I was literally a nuclear engineer and I had more to learn from this than I did learning how to work a freaking nuclear reactor. You chose to learn all that because as the only person here who was old enough to remember when these movies were originally put out, I mean, I've watched the movies. I love the movies. They're part of, again, Star Wars, you know, four, five, and six are part of my, my youth. Yeah. I watched this movie, uh, but again, I, I barely even know the characters' names. I'm just watching it for the entertainment value. I don't know the name of any of these planets. I don't know the name of any of these little <laughs> characters. And I sure as hell don't know what Wikipedia was until about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I don't know if my life is any better, much better now. that. But no, it is. You're, you are now the mayor of Wikipedia. There you go. Ooh, boom. We could probably like put that in one of the entries, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we could absolutely a wiki do that. anything if we couldn't just edit it ourselves. Wiki mayor. Yeah. So now they're walking through the village. Uh, Han and his companions notice that much of it lies in absolute ruins and the inhabitants are impoverished. While visiting the while visiting a bar, the group are now surrounded by Emphis Nest and the Cloud Riders. Han tries to lift his blaster out of the holster, but Beckett says, eh, you don't want to do that, kid. Uh, Solo tries to intimidate the Cloud Riders, Cloud Riders by claiming that they have a huge uh, gang of armed mercenaries on board the Millennium Falcon. Lando then takes off on the Falcon, leaving Han and the group behind. Typical Lando. By the way, another quick aside. I'll make it quick. One of the Cloud Riders, none other than Star Wars uh, 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 I guess royalty, Warwick Davis. Yes, he, here, Matt, he, you know he who plays that is. Weasel. Uh, yes, former Falcon and mostly known for his mom uh, for building those houses for uh, homeless women. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Flitwick. Went salute, to the University of salute to that family. Outstanding running back. Exactly. Florida State. Salute Florida to that State's running back. Yeah. And 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 Warwick Dunn, obviously. It's Warwick Davis, sorry. In, in 10, $5. 10 Star, Star, Wars movies, Star Wars projects, by the way. Correct. Why is royalty? Uh, right, Beckett, Beckett claims that Crimson Dawn is going to be here by the time the coaxium has been refined, and he dares Enfys Nest to kill them. 
Kier proposes a compromise, but Beckett dismisses the Cloud Riders as just marauders and pirates who the, who only know how to kill. Ephesus steps forward to face Beckett and removes the mask, revealing uh, to be a young human girl. Did not see that coming at all. She walks past a shocked Beckett and tells them that she needs a drink. Inside the bar, Enfys tells Han and his companions how Crimson Dawn originated from a band of mercenaries who plundered a planet. When the inhabitants rebelled, the mercenaries responded by cutting off the tongues of every last man, woman, and child. She asked, do you know what that pack of animals became? And she asked the old lady uh, at the bar to show them, and the old lady draws the Crimson Dawn symbol in dirt on the mirror. Which is exactly the same tattoo that Kira has on her wrist and that Dryden Voss has on his ring. Emphis explains that she and the Cloud Riders are from the populations who have been terrorized by the Crimson Dawn and the other five syndicates. She warns Han and his companions that the Crimson Dawn are going to use the stolen coaxium to plunder more systems. When Han asks what Cloud Riders are going to use the coaxium for, she tells them that they need the coaxium for a rebellion. Uh, sympathetic to the Cloud Rider's cause and plight, Sola tells Beckett that they cannot give the coaxium to Dryden Voss. Beckett doesn't care and asks Sola if he has a plan. Sola says that he has a plan to get their money without giving up the coaxium. Beckett warns that Dryden has a private army and suggests an alternative plan. And from a distance, Enfys asked what, uh, what Solo and Beckett are discussing, and Kira says that he's going to help them. Uh, after the meeting, Beckett invites Solo to come with him, but Han declines the offer. Uh, before leaving, Beckett tells Han that he is going to Tatooine, where a big-shot gangster is recruiting a crew for a new job. Nothing good happens on Tatooine. So i got to go back just a little bit. Several times during this movie, Kira's you know, covering up that tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not her most regrettable tattoo. Ooh. Go on. Is that a Game of Thrones reference? I I, I, I will confess I have never seen the mind. It was a swing and a miss if I did. Zoe, I feel like you would love it. I would, but I like I started watching it. My my wife is has read all the books, but and that, and that would be a the great books are, like, the books are phenomenal. They're, well, until George R. R. Martin's lazy butt forgot to finish them. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> like, a, that's, that's a why she refuses to point, watch yeah. it with me because she's like it's like no, I she rereads the whole series. That's after a new Stu's one comes fault. Out. She and rereads it. That's a that's a yes. So she's like a, a she'd be like a pop up pop up. You remember uh, VH1's pop up video, the little tidbits that would pop up during mm-hmm. music videos. She mm-hmm. would be that if I was watching Game of Thrones. She knows the whole lore and everything outside. Well, of no, the you honest, honestly having somebody like that when you're watching the show to start off is very very useful because there's a lot of background knowledge. Yeah. That you kind of just don't really, I mean, unless you have, like, I had someone who had watched the show and then was able to kind of fill me in with some of that stuff. So that really helped out because there's, there's a lot in the beginning where it's like, it's a whole there's, world. All this, there's all this context that I really, do I really have right now? You know, but like her having that is very useful. She because don't want to watch it because after I watched the series, books. I went and read. Yeah. After I, after I watched the series, I read the books and I was like, Wow. The detail now, that the books gives you is incredible. All that said, she didn't tell me about any any Daenerys tramp stamp or, or any questionable temp tattoos. I'm just going to let that sit there. Beckett now sees this as an opportunity to pay off his debts and to get to Gleon Slum, where he is going to learn how to play that Valachord. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I looked that up. I looked that up. Here we go. 
Uh, it is a, it's like, as you assume, some sort of like string instrument. It's like two harps to court, like, it's like two harps together or intertwining. And uh, no, none of the uh, the model nodes do play that. It's actually just a, it's a very, actually, I think, you know who actually plays it? I'm reading here. Uh, Padme. Padme, I think, plays it in the original uh, trilogy. Oh, we'll see. The prequel there you go. trilogy. There you go. Uh, Dryden Voss lands his yacht on the coast. Uh, Han, along with Kira and Chewbacca, go to deliver the coaxium canisters to the Crimson Dawn crime lord. Entering the ship, a mass guard welcomes Kira home and tells her that Voss is waiting for them. When he asks about Han and Chewie's weapons, Kira says that they're good. They don't have any. The trio are now traveling up this uh, uh, elevator, uh, the turbo lift. Han is confident of winning, but uh, Kira says that the trick is surviving rather than winning. Reaching Voss's living room, they are greeted by Voss, who seems pretty pleased with their plan. He says, no one believed in Kira, but I did. I knew she was ready. Kira claims that Beckett did not survive, while Han claims that Beckett died, saving his life on Kessel. Voss expresses admiration for Beckett's principles and thanks Han and his team for following his example. Kira claims that Han and Chewie would make good mercenaries with their own ship. Uh, Voss is pleased that his top lieutenant Kira has survived. When Han asks for his payment, Voss when Han asks for his payment, Voss asks to see the coaxium. Han opens up the case and we can see his blaster is concealed here in the lid. He brings out a sample of the processed coaxium. When Voss asks to see one, Han claims it's, it's volatile and it's it's going to explode, um, but ends up giving it to Voss. Dryden wants to know how they did it. He wants to know how they got it to look like the real thing. Han says that's because it is the real thing. Dryden says that he knows all about their plan uh, to sell the real coaxium to Enfys Nest. Han thinks that Kira betrayed him, but Voss responds that Kira has a weak spot for Solo. Voss then reveals that his inside man is Beckett, who walks into the living room. You backstabbing Beckett. After apologizing to Han, Beckett reminds him about his life lesson to DTA, Don't Trust Anybody. Beckett orders Han to surrender while a guard checks the lid. A defiant Han responds that it's too late because Enfys Ness already has it. Uh, Beckett responds that they have figured that they had figured that. We cut to now Dryden's guards uh, going through the nearby village, capturing Enfys Nest and seizing the coaxium containers. Voss asks Kira what to do with the traitor Han, and Kira responds that she would not want she would want to know why and to prove their prove their loyalty by sacrificing something they loved. Ooh. Scary. Uh, one of Voss's guards raises a sword here, and Beckett says that he tried to warn Han about her. However, Han responds that he was paying attention to Beckett's advice and knows that people are predictable. Meanwhile, the enforcers discover that the coaxium containers are empty and that Enfys Nest and her gang are really just the old villagers that are serving as decoys. The real Cloud Riders, including Enfys Nest, uh, now soon emerge uh, from their hiding spots and they ambush Dryden's enforcers. One of them fires a rocket launcher at the enforcers, disorientating them. Uh, the Cloud Riders uh, now disarm and subdue the enforcers and all the guards. Now we're back onto the, the yacht. Han mockingly asks if he sent all of his enforcers, and then Beckett realizes that the real coaxium is inside here with Solo. Abandoning Voss, Beckett shoots the two remaining guards and forces Han at gunpoint to load the coaxium back into the case. 
He also takes Chewie hostage and leaves with the coaxium containers. A furious Dryden boss warns Beckett that he is making a big mistake, but the criminal ignores him uh, before traveling down back down the turbo lift with Chewie and the coaxium. Once Beckett is left, Han grabs his blaster and fires at Voss, who retrieves a pair of custom fist knives. I don't know what they're called. They're just custom fist knives. Voss attacks Han here with the fist knives and manages to knock the blaster out of his hand. Voss chases Han around the room, hurling his daggers, chucking daggers at him. While Han is distracted with Voss, Kira draws a sword and manages to pin Solo to the ground, knocking the blaster out of his hand. Kira apologizes while Voss says that Kira is loyal to Crimson Dawn. However, Kira quickly reveals that it was all a ruse and strikes the unsuspecting Voss with her weapon. Voss now fights back with his uh, little fist knives. Kira gains the upper hand and kills him by slashing him directly in the chest. Kira tells Han to go after Chewie and Beckett, uh, telling him that if they gave uh, the coaxium to Enfys Nest, then they're going to need some money to buy a new ship. Before parting company here, Kira embraces Han and reminds him to look after Chewie and that whenever she imagined herself with Han, it would make her smile and that she'll be right behind him. Nice. Pal, are you going with uh, uh, fists or daggers or uh, electric brass knucks? As your Star Wars weapon choice. I like the electric brass knucks. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with those because because when he when he charges them, it like puts like this whole force field over him. So I feel like the daggers wouldn't be able to get through that necessarily as effectively. And I mean, he t- I mean, when he when he put that on, you know, we thought he Boy. was done. Yeah. In Book of Boss. But like he he totally was able to fend it off because we had, ended up seeing that Black Chrysanthemum was OK. You know what I mean? So it just shows how well not only is it a good offensive weapon those the electric brass knucks but it's also like a you know a defense mechanism there's a shield there i agree you know, anyone can have like fist daggers they're just daggers like those electrified daggers yeah that's pretty cool you can slice through more stuff or whatever they're still daggers but electric brass knucks like shoot out ion blasts or yeah like just charge a, a shield like goku type shit totally badass yeah after Han I'm leaves, so, Kira removes. This is a, this is a pro electric brass knucks pod. Yes, we're we we're, we're all about brass knucks and brass monkeys. After Han leaves, brass Kira removes. <laughs> Kira removes Dryden Boss's little ring here and uses it to seal up the living room. Alone on board the yacht, Kira contacts Vaz's superior, who is revealed to be Da-da-da-da! Darth Maul. Uh, she informs him that the coaxian uh, the coaxian mission's failure and assumes that Voss and assumes Voss's position, but carefully avoids telling him that uh, Han was involved. Instead, pinning the blame on Beckett. She claims that Beckett stole the coaxium shipment. Using the Force, he draws his lightsaber to him, and then Maul orders Kira to bring the yacht to the planet uh, Dothamir, and he tells her that uh, she's that she's going to be working more closely with him in the future. Meanwhile, Han catches up with Beckett and Chewie here along the coast. Beckett says that Han is relentless, while Han tells Chewie that he came as fast as he could. Han confirms that Dryden is dead and that Kira killed him. Beckett says that Han still doesn't understand that Kira is a survivor. Han says that Beckett's problem is that he thinks that everyone is like him. Beckett responds that Han is not like him, and he tries to trick Han into lowering his guard by offering to tell him something while reaching for his blaster. But before Beckett can shoot, Han shoots first, right in the chest, fatally wounding him. 
He's done. He's out of here. Uh, Han helps the uh, dying Beckett here who compliments Han for quick thinking and admitting that I would have killed you if you hadn't reacted first. Beckett says that he really was going to learn how to play that Valachord and Beckett dies. Good thing Han shot first this time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Han watches as Kira departs on the yacht, uh, having given Solo a clean break from his, all his debts with Crimson Dawn. Kira watches Han and Chewie here from the viewport. Uh, Chewie puts a comforting hand on Han's shoulder. Following the death of Voss and Beckett, Han and Chewie deliver the refined coaxium to Emphis Nest, who reveals her plan to use the coaxium, which is worth 60 million credits, to aid the rebellion against the Empire. She offers Han a chance to join her, but he declines. In response, Ness states that someday that he's going to feel more sympathetic to the Rebels' cause. Uh, but out of gratitude uh, for his help, Ness gives Solo a vial of coaxium, which is going to be enough to buy a ship for himself. We now cut to Lando in the middle of a game of Sabacc. Han and Chewie come in, and Lando seems pretty surprised to see them. Han says, you're lucky I don't have Chewie rip your arms off. In fact, you know what, Chewie, do it. And it says, chill, man, we're, we're, we're friends. Uh, he holds his hands up, and Han sees that Lando has some cards up his sleeve. Uh, he grabs his hand, brings Lando in for a good old bro hug. When Lando is there shaking his hand, Han takes out those cards. Lando asks for his cut. Han replies that he's not getting it since they barely survived their last adventure. Uh, Han says all he has left is one vial of coaxium, which is worth about 10,000 credits, and it should be enough for a decent buy-in. We are mid-game now here, and Lando says that Han should fold and that he'll still have enough to buy a decent ship, but if he calls, he's going to clean Han out again. Han says he's feeling lucky. Lando says that Han has it bad for the Falcon. Han says it's mutual. The Falcon belongs with me. We see Lando reaching for the card that he thinks is up his sleeve, and it's not there anymore, and Lando knows that he is absolutely beat. He shows here a pretty weak hand, and uh, Han says, you know, if you only had this one little green Psylocke, you would have beat this, and slams down the winning hand, the absolute nuts. Now we're back on the Falcon, and Han tells Chewie about his plans to go to Tatooine, where Beckett told him about a gangster putting together this organization. Falcon then jumps into hyperspace and roll credits. Whew. When you guys told me this was on uh, on on deck, uh, two hours and 15 minutes, I was... Yeah, I did I the same. Like, I did the man. same exact thing. It's 135 minutes Canadian. Come on now, it's 25 minutes longer than I spent at the gym, but not our longest one. Uh, any given Sunday was two hours and 42 oh, minutes. God, goodness, yeah. Oh, come okay. on, Oliver Stone. So oh, that, we are going to get into ooh. our uh, our rankings here, uh, and just ooh. as a recap for everyone out there listening, uh, we have yeah, one of my favorites. I'll absolutely watch this every single time. Meh, you know what? Once is probably enough. I might see it again, but eh, uh, or feh, get out of here, get all the way out of here. Schweitz jumped off early here, uh, but he said to give this one an absolute yeah. So it's it's going to be up to, you know, I'm going to go out here to pal. Yeah, so I'm going to say it's a yeah for me. But if I'm being completely honest, the second time through this movie was not as enjoyable or as rewardable for me as it was the first time through. The first time through, I loved every aspect of this movie and couldn't understand how it got so much hate. But watching it through the second time and I think maybe having the perspective of like 
the beauty of the Mandalorian and then kind of seeing what kind of came from the book of Boba. This movie, if I'm being completely honest, was a little similar to the book of Boba where you're, you're jumping around a lot, but I'm going to definitely watch this again. It's a yeah for me. I, I, I do like, I did like this movie. I do like the canon natures that it brings to it. And honestly, as a Han Solo, he did such a great job. I thought he was a really good Han. So I, I, I enjoyed yeah. that aspect of it. Bringing Darth Maul into it was really, really cool because you, then you tie in Rebels, you tie in all these other kind of canon Star Wars things. So that, that aspect of it was really cool. So it's definitely a yeah for me. I'm a huge Star Wars guy. Like I'm a very big fan. And The Mandalorian is literally one of my favorite shows. And Solo is is right up there with, you know, some of, some of the best content that this series, that this Star Wars saga has produced, in my opinion. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeanette, I'm going to go to you next. Oh, wow. So, for me, this is a total meh. Whoa! I, I okay. So, as I revealed in our cinema group chat, I missed about, like, the first whatever amount of time on this movie because I was trying to find the clip of uh, when Dan asked the question of to new Baca so awkwardly. So I spent about the first that I should have been watching probably the first 40 minutes of the movie that I should have been watching looking for that clip before I eventually gave up and I being distracted in that way I was like oh shit I didn't really miss anything because I was not even looking at the movie. There were so many times where there have been other Star Wars movies, offshoots, where they do a good job of presenting the content without the perspective of you have to have all this back knowledge for people that are going in for the first time. This one didn't have a lot of this. I understand a lot of the Easter eggs for all the other stuff that was going on. So I felt like this, if this would have had that same approach of... of um like nobody has seen it or whatever and not relying on you have to have watched so many things to get a lot of what's going on. It would have been good for that. Also, I think this, instead of being a a two hour movie, they probably could have turned it into one of these series. Now they could have given us seven episodes of something that would have been better to this. So in the famous words of uh, Chris Cody, this needed more plot um, and less characters, and I guess Kira is now a new oligarch because she has a yacht. That, that's an all I. Yeah. So uh, no, sorry. So is it's a meh. It's a meh. Yeah. Okay. I think if they if this the new Han Solo, since right now they're focusing on this early part, maybe we might see him in like another one of the many offshoots that are going on right now because it, maybe it fits within that timeline. But I have no rush to see this at all and i totally understand why people were like the hate that is out there for this fair enough mayor matt i'm going to go out to you next what do we got Uh, you know matter of fact as i mentioned i'll go i'll go with a i'm going to go with yeah i'm going to a very weak one though and the reason why it's it's more because of the history like i said being old enough to remember when you know the first star wars came out which is technically the the fourth one but you know just having that content uh, and being able to visit that universe kind of harkens back to my childhood. And again, I don't, I don't take the time to memorize planets and some of the little intricacies and there's, but there's enough of little callbacks to those other movies. Uh, again, 
I, I really like the character development and the, those character elements of Han Solo. Uh, Donald Glover did a phenomenal job in bringing oh, out sure. that character of Lando Calrissian. It was it was just fun, and like I said, without diving too deep into all the details, it was just kind of a fun watch to relive. So I, I'd go, I'd give it a cinema, yeah, cinema, yeah. All right, uh, Zoe, we're gonna go out to you now. Well, we got by my tally, we have three yes and one meh, and. Uh, as a, as a, as a, I don't want to be too Star Wars fanny, but uh, I, I have to give it a meh. I, yeah, yeah, no, I, wow. I, I, I respect what was done. I appreciated what was done, but um, it's just, it's too much at times. It's, it's, it's a lot of fan service as a lot of the new yeah. Star Wars uh, properties have, 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 have succumbed to. Uh, especially the, the, the new trilogy. Um, the, the dice, we never got back to the dice. Like the dice were such a big thing, but then the dice never, they're never, I get it. It's hard to, to, to time into something that is, that that's already been created and we're in the future that takes place in the future. But uh, to me, it, it just, it, it, it suffered from a lot of the, the, the production trouble. Uh, when you brought up uh, Opie, Ron Howard being yeah. the director of this movie, uh, I, I, I took a, 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 I took a, a little bit of umbrage to that uh, because he there was two other directors that that shot this movie. Uh, it was uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, and uh, somewhere along the lines, one of the dailies, said, uh, Kathleen Kennedy and 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 the brass at Lucasfilm and Disney said, nah, we don't like what's going on. Uh, production came to a screeching halt. They got rid of them, and in came Ron Howard to save the day. And I think he made it seem like he, he put it together in a, in a, uh, in a fluid, somewhat fluid, uh, uh movie, but I feel like, it, uh, I, I, I'll say it, Daenerys, I forget her name. Uh, um, Amelia Kira. Clark. Amelia yeah. Clark. Yes. She, I, I've, ne- I, I've never, her acting just to me, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate as much as, as it doesn't, it doesn't hit with me as much as I, I want it to. And in this movie, I felt like the, the character of Kira, she just fell flat for me. Um, and 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 I know it's it's a it's a it's not a fair knock on uh, on our, our titular character, um, but it's such a lofty role. It's such a hard. It's, like I said earlier, with when you were mentioning Pow, it's they're big shoes to fill with Harrison Ford having done this this character years ago. And having done having done it so well, uh, it's just hard to, to 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 you have to suspend this belief. Yes, but like he had the lines, but and he had some of the mannerisms, but it just didn't it, it, some of the, the performances. And then I love Donald Glover. I'm being nitpicky here. I love Donald Glover and everything he does, but they made him made, made Lando a, a like a space whore. He's just he's just a full blown. Like, I mean, we're having sex with robots here, people. <laughs> yeah, that's He's a, a, a guy with tophobia. No, well, we're it's, it's, it's a good point. It implies. Yeah. It implies. So I, I have another. I have a question for you on the end of this. On the, when you should over your take, kind of to pick your brain a little bit. But can, go ahead. No, continue. No. If you're if you're not done yet, listen. Go, I interjected way too much, Matt. No, 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 no. Well, so, well, so let me just let me interject one thing before you go, mm-hmm. pal. Christopher Miller. 
another former Atlanta Falcon played quarterback, did not play with work done. <laughs> there we go. Thank, thank you for all your Atlanta trivia. Yeah. Um, speaking yeah, of Atlanta Falcons, it. you know, if you're, pay, if you, if you're a fan of Lauer after hours, pay attention soon. Cause we might have fullback Keith Smith of the Atlanta Falcons on soon. So, whoa, there we whoa. Go. I went to high school with him. So there you go. Um, but I was going to say, though, like, so this, this, when it comes to the Star Wars universe and the saga, I honestly feel this is a very pivotal movie. And for a lot of the reasons that you brought up with like the fan lore and everything going on. And I had mentioned it a little bit earlier in this pod where it's like, it, it's a thing of like the rise of Skywalker is probably the worst thing that's ever come out of the Star Wars universe. In my opinion, a lot of and, people would say otherwise, not me, but a lot of people are, are, are torn on rise of Skywalker. I it it's really bad. I I personally I like the Last Jedi. I like the artistic, you know, reaches they took I'm, with it. I meant the Last Jedi. I'm sorry. It's yeah. the Rise of Skywalker was was Bantha Poodoo. <laughs> yeah, right. In and it like because of you know you get the Last Jedi and then you get Solo right after and then they they immediately announced we're not doing any more movies because there was supposed to be like Boba Fett was a series but Boba Fett was supposed to be a movie. Initially, like they had mentioned that it was going to be a film, but because of the, the critiques that Solo got, that's why they ended up kind of tampering away from it. And then we got what Rise of Skywalker was, which was essentially like they're going to let the fans write the movie and kind of go based off what they think the fans it, would like with that. It so, is a shame because of that, because of they, I think the, the biggest flaw to the, the new trilogy and even this movie is that they listen to the fans too much. Uh, it, uh, uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, I, I, I mean, people knock The Last Jedi a lot, but I liked the the, 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 the risky moves that he took there. <clears throat> Me, as did I, to be honest. It's, it's, like it took it, the, I really like the, the, the movie. The movie it took the story in a diff, vastly different direction, and then to zag and go, oh, no, hey, Ray's just, spoiler alert, she's the Emperor's granddaughter. Oh, no, we're stuck in the same, like, circle of people. No, like, branch out. Make her something mm-hmm. different and new. Born of the Force, something yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree 100%. Matt, what, what do you have to say? I've got to go back on the Donald Glover point and the Lando Calrissian point because he was played by Billy D. Williams. And again, I know you guys aged out on this. It, it was before your time, but man, he was he was a he was a sex symbol. Billy D. was as smooth as they can. I know. He was, he's yeah. doing the Schlitzmalt liquor bowl commercials. Billy, and so he brought that kind of panache to that character. Ooh, so, I mean, it was all mm-hmm. sex appeal. And I thought Donald Glover caught that well because that's kind of I, who I Calrissian was. I agree. So I was doing some, speaking of like sex things, I was working on some like, you know, sex muscles and whatnot while I was watching the movie. What? And, oh, my, my headphones just came out. Um, sorry, that was a really weird thing to say. But I uh, I was well, just are, working on my core, se- my core muscles. But, muscles. But, no, it's okay. We'll, we'll move on from that. But I was... I wasn't necessarily watching the movie, but I was listening to it. And then when I heard Donald Glover come on, I I honestly thought it was Billy D. Like I, it, it made his performance was so much better the second time around because I didn't see him necessarily. And I heard him. So I got to see that different aspect of acting. I'm a thespian. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a part of a thespian troupe. I, I used to act. Um, so like, I really, you know, like these little details. So hearing him play Lando really brought that, like that Billy D feel to me. To, I, I thought he was the best part of this movie, 
Don Glover, like a Dover, whatever you want to call him. I loved him in this. So, Mayor Matt, I'm glad you brought that back up I'll because I really appreciate it. Donald mm-hmm. Glover made the movie to me again. He was he was the most enjoyable part of it. He was so good. Do you, are you a, are you a childish Gambino fan, Mayor Matt? I am. Are you a Redbone oh. guy? Sorry, so I know I know so Red Zone. You know what I'm saying? Um, Mayor Matt, do you listen to Redbone? No. Okay. Well, I, I really recommend it. Shorter so, version of Pow. Your D is all. <laughs> there we go. So for me, okay. I hadn't seen a single Star Wars movie until I'd met my wife in Ooh. 2014. Uh, I hadn't watched any of them. It wasn't part of you know my my upbringing. And I made her watch all the Rocky movies, and she made me watch all the Star you. Wars movie. Right? You know, kind of you know little tit for tat. Um, I didn't really have a, a great affinity for any of the characters. I didn't have that, um, that need to watch all of these. Uh, I watched this one when it did come out with my wife and I hadn't seen it again until starting the preparation for this. And I am not joking when I say that it took me over 10 hours to write out all of the notes and everything here for this specific episode. And because of that, I have now a, a guttural disdain for this movie. I am on the verge of saying "feh" never again. I, I'm, I'm on the, I am Wait. on a razor's edge of going "feh." Never Wait, there's again. a "feh." We yeah. can say we can go "feh." Feh. We can go "meh" yeah, yeah, so or yeah, "feh." Yeah, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far to "feh." I mean, it, it not was even way, way too long. The Everything that went into everything that I did here on this episode, <laughs> I am on a razor's edge of going feh. But because of Dong Lover, Donald Galaxy's Lover, Edge, I am going to make this a hard meh. Oh. I might watch this one more time, but it's it's going to be a couple of years before I I pop this one in. Can you teach a, 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 a college course on uh, the coaxium? And the properties of it, how to like like space chem chemistry at this point. I I probably I feel like we know could. way too much about yeah that I, damn I, I, I volatile could. substance. It Listen, is I don't extremely volatile. I don't want to. I don't want to. Just like you after watching it. I don't want to. <laughs> after like, taking all those notes, you're do a screen recording of all of the yes. notes that I took no, for this. Your your synopsis, your 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 was was immaculate. It was, it was detailed to the, to the very like quotes and 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 snippets from the movie. I felt like I rewatched that two hour and fifteen mm-hmm. minute. I don't want to say debacle, but that's very harsh. No, it's no, you can you can call it a debacle all you want. <laughs> like th- this is a very pivotal film in this series. It re- it really a lot of people don't really realize it, but it is. And that's why it, it's fascinating to kind of have this debate. And like, you can kind of go through. Yeah. Meh. Maybe. Fair. But like we have, we have these things here because it's such a, the movie itself it, it was an artistic reach. Yeah. They, they went for a lot because it it's not like I, I called it red one earlier and I feel so embarrassed, but rogue. It's not like rogue one. Right, Rogue One, Rogue like one there was, was a very, amazing. it was one amazing, was and there was a very set, clear, like we knew what the clear set story was, and with this, they took a little bit more of an artistic reach, and they did that with this and the Last Jedi, and I thought it for me it was okay because like 
Disney has shown, especially with the Marvel movies, when they let the writers kind of handle things, they're okay. And that's how I felt with episode, what is it? Episode seven. I felt the same way with, with the last Jedi. What, what's, what's episode? I can't, I don't know why I can't. Seven is force awakens. Force awakens. Yeah. Force uh, awakens. Was great. I love force awakens. Nine, and nine I, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and I like. I love the last Jedi. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, we don't. Not on this pod, no sir. That's a fat for us. And episode eight, the last Jedi, six point nine, and that is going to be coming up next time on Cinemet. So thank you all for joining us here. What's the runtime there? (laughs) I I don't even want to look at it yet. I'm I'm two hours and not sixteen minutes. Looking forward to the editing process that I have to do for this one. But thank you very much for joining us all on this episode of Cinemet. We will catch you next time. Why does Donald Glover go as Donald Glover? Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars. 